Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Hello, I'm Raphael Martinez, a minister within the Church of God Cleveland Movement and the director of Spearwatch Ministries, a Christian outreach providing biblical discernment in a time of deception. Our podcast is called Where Are We Going? Uh, you see, the world is getting more and more complex. It's becoming unpredictable, as it always is, and troubling. And, and those are just the high points, sadly. Uh, even with a cosmic reset like the new year on, on our heels, uh, things still seem so uncertain and our society seems to be completely going off the rails at times. Now, when you add into the social contracts all around us, the powerful influences of cultism, abusive religion, and the general spiritual chaos that arises as the Christian faith is increasingly abandoned, it's no wonder people are confused these days and they ask that very question. Where, they ask, are we going? Well, Spirit Watch Ministries produces these podcasts to provide solidly biblical answers to those kinds of questions, offering perspectives and testimonies on our deceptive times of trouble you just won't find anywhere else. We've been seeking to provide answers about the kinds of cultism and deception all around that have made life that much more challenging. We're glad you stopped in today, and we're welcoming all of our new listeners to us today. We're hoping you'll bookmark us and return again next week when we release our next podcast. It's easy to find them on the internet at our spearwatch.org ministry website or on Facebook using the search term Spearwatch Ministries. Uh, we're now on Amazon, Spotify, and Google, and we're seeking new outlets wherever we can find them. So, so please bookmark us and share the links with your friends, your dog groomer, your therapist, your family. Help us build our audience. Thank you so much while you do that. Now, on today's podcast, we're going to continue making our virtual studio a place where the voices of the victimized who survived the none-too-gentle mercies of the punitive side of the Zenos Christian Fellowship, which now calls itself the Dwell Community Church of Columbus, Ohio, we want to get more into that from a very personal perspective. We've been spending all of our podcast time the past couple of months providing these alternative pr- perspectives of what life is like in this movement, and we believe the testimony we bring to you today is going to do just that. Well, we're delighted to be back here online once more, and... Um grateful that I've had an opportunity to uh, get to know quite a number of people in the year I've been uh, uh, working this podcast and I've interviewed with quite a number of people who've been involved and who can certainly vouch for the fact that uh, uh, that despite it being uh, accorded status and the prestige and the respect of being a church that um, Xenos slash well uh, acts often anything unlike a church actually so uh, it's one of the things that we've learned uh, here at Spirit Watch Ministries over the past year or so, and um, we're just devoted and dedicated to continuing to uh, sound the alarm about what really goes on with this specific group. Our guest today, Ronnie, um, has uh, been someone who's who's learned that, unfortunately, in a very personal way. Uh, 
uh, in a very harsh way as well. So, and Ronnie, I want to thank you for, for coming on today. It's always a pleasure to have people on who are basically becoming open books. I mean, you're, you, you become totally transparent and, um, as, as, as much as you'd like to, of course, but, yeah. but, to, <laughs> but as, but to become known as someone who, uh, is speaking out about what yeah. they experienced in Xenos. Um, that is something that unfortunately has been all too rare, but in the past year we've done all we can do to try to make that more of an operative reality. And there's a lot of people listening. And so I want to once again, thank you for coming on. Cause I know a lot of people will be uh, hearing what you're about to say. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Like I said earlier, it helps give voice to the people who are being silenced a lot by the church right now. So yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Good. Well, it's interesting you said that because you mentioned the fact that you feel like there are people who have voices, who have things they want to say about the church, but they're being silenced. What, uh, can you mm-hmm. hear the word conscious? What makes you say something like that? I mean, I, I, I totally agree, but as, as a, as a survivor, as someone who's come, who's left the movement and gone on without it, um, what makes you say something like that? Um, there's two things. The first thing that came to mind is, while I was in the church there, um, I guess when I was in the church, there were always small rumors. It was mostly stuff on Reddit, you know, the website Reddit. Um, it was just kind of, and then there was the Xenos of the Cult website, and um, they kind of hid that away from me. And then by the end, by like my fifth or sixth year in the church, um, they had a big meeting, and they were talking about how, you know, there's a lot more focus on Xenos and the negative parts. And so they instructed us to, I think it was when someone, um, the news, um, let me get my words here together. It was when that first Columbus dispatch article came out. And so the church had a big meeting. I think that was back in like 2018 or 19 or something. Mm-hmm. And so they told us to any time, you see anything online about criticism. I, they said, I want you to share your positive experiences, um, which makes sense. But in my mind, at the same time, I was like, well, that's negating the people who are speaking out. You know, I don't think it's right for me to trump over that and be like, well, actually, you know, my experience has been good. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a valid response. It's kind of like saying, someone saying like oh I was in a car crash and it was horrible and and if I were to respond and be like actually I've been in a car crash and I had a great experience it's very um yeah. I do think there's time and a place to say hey we've had good experiences and I believe that there are people who are in groups that were better run run by people who weren't as toxic or you know, kind of lost in the sauce, as I like to say. But um, but I know for a fact that there's, unfortunately, that's a minority in Venus, and the majority in the truth is that there are a lot of groups that were run terribly, and yeah. people like me had a lot of bad experiences. And the second thing is I've kept a very close eye on what Dennis has been saying about the church and his responses. Dennis, Dennis McCallum? Yes. Um, I know you have a lot of experience. I read the paper that I think you wrote something and then he commented back and kind of filled in mm-hmm. his little blurbs. And I read that whole thing and I was just, I, I mean, I was 
I don't know what to say. It was indescribable. And I, and I, at the very end, he wrote, you know, we're very open to criticism. And I thought, well, that's not true because here you have this, this man, Raphael and his, his ministry trying to have an open conversation of criticism. And he was just a, a bully. And, um, I was still, I still was connected to the email chain as well. After I left, it took a while for me to get out of that. And I was seeing people saying to say the same thing, you know, if you ever hear anyone say something negative, you know, you, you want to turn that around and, and bombard them with your positive mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. And that's all from Dennis. He encourages that. He encourages them to kind of step on the, step over these people who are trying to say, Hey, I was really hurt. And he's trying to just yeah. trample that and yeah. silence it. Yeah. And, it is, yeah. It's good that you said it because that's exactly what it is. I mean, the, the, the deflection that that McCallum engages in is is uh, is quite telling. I mean, the fact that his, the only reason the only reason why he responded to to us was because of the fact that he felt that he he took umbrage, for lack of a better word, he he, he just got he just got upset because we had um, accurately reported the testimony of people that were that were close to him that knew him over the fact that uh, he had engaged in apparently some some uh, some domestic abuse. He yeah, apparently got uh-huh. into a violent and physical confrontation with his wife, which is which is his uh, his daughter Jesse saw. And that's mm-hmm. something that some of our, uh, our other podcast guests had reported and which they have other people involved who also were privy to what has gone on back uh, years and years ago. And yeah. So, you know, um, we reported that. Now, now that was after uh, several months of other podcasts in which we were, you know, obviously discussing this mm-hmm. very issue that there, that there were some very terrible things going on. Some pretty awful things going on as instituted by house uh, church and the ministry house leaders uh, in which people were, were, were being abused. People were being yeah. used. Uh, people str- who struggled with chemical dependence or, or, or who had, um, uh, you know, issues related to emotional problems and, and, and personal stabilities and, 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 you know, that they were all subject to this, to this, this horribly punitive and, and very demeaning treatment, uh, mm-hmm. if they didn't line up with the behavioral expectations of the group. And, um, we've had people out there reporting all this. And then, and month, for months then, therefore, there were nothing but crickets, you know? Yeah. And the only, the only reason why he, we heard from him was because he got offended. He felt that what we were saying was defamatory. And my response, of course, is online. I won't take time to rehearse it here, but we made it clear. No, we, we, we don't play that. You know, um, we're not going to, we're not going to track the thing because it's because we believe it's the truth. Otherwise we wouldn't, we wouldn't have published it. We wouldn't have recorded it. So, um, exactly. so right. Yeah. It's, it's you, you, you say, well, right. It's, it is exactly this, this culture of deflection of, uh, demonization, uh, that, uh, that, Xenos is, is, is what really, it's what really underlies Xenos, isn't it? I mean, um, it looks yeah. all squeaky clean and relevant and, and everything mm-hmm. on the outside, but, um, inside though, there, there's quite a bit more to see. So, and, um, yeah. we've unfortunately, um, had to cover that and I wish we didn't have to, <laughs> but it is, it is what it is. So, 
Well, let's let's begin the beginning with you with your situation. I mean, you you weren't you weren't raised in the church, were you, or were you? No. Um, and so, how did you get? What year were were you there? How did you get involved? So I was involved like January of 2015 to I would say the early months of 2020, right before COVID. So about five um, years. Five years, yeah, I'm bad at mental math. Um, about five, <laughs> almost six years, okay. and um, so I I did grow up Christian. I went to a private Christian school that um was a doozy, uh, very strict, uh, very similar to Zenos, um, hmm. but it was a school, and so once you graduate, you know they can't do they can't do anything. Um, so I graduated, I was very sheltered, and then I went to Otterbein, which is a very liberal arts, um, wonderful college. Um, and I had, and I went into it thinking, you know, I'm, I'm gonna not abandon Christianity, but I wanna, I wanna see what else is out there. You know, I'm so sheltered, and so Otterbein provided that for sure. It was definitely, you know, you go from a, private little Christian school to this big open college and it's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of shocking. In my, right. my first year, it was, um, it was pretty bad. I got involved with bad people and then they, you know, lost a bunch of friends. So I would say by winter of 2015, I was uh, completely alone, very alone, very sad. I, I didn't know, you know, I was like, I don't, I didn't know what was going on with my life. I didn't know if I wanted to be a Christian or break away from that. And so then I met, um, and mm. I'll, I'll refrain from names, um, cause I don't like to reveal names, mm, but I met. Not, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, you're right. We, we don't require any of that from anyone that comes on here. You just yeah. say, you, as I've always prided myself on, I think we, we let people tell their stories. That's fine. Go ahead. Yeah. So I would say it was my, my discipler, the girl who ended up discipling me for all of my time in Zena. So I met her and we started as friends. Um, and I, I want to start off from the bat saying, you know, no matter what happened between us, she really was a good, a good, we were good friends from the beginning. We had a good, strong foundation. And I think, you know, this will get touched on later. And I think she just was under a lot of pressure. Um, cause we did have some bad experiences down the road, but, we met at Otterbein. She was very kind to me. She sensed that I was lonely and was like, hey, you know, I go to this church. We're having a Christmas party. You know, it won't be like a meeting. It's just like a white elephant. And I thought, well, that sounds fun. Um, okay. I was very into partying at the time. So that was appealing. I was like, oh, like a party, sure. Um, and I went and it was intoxicating. I felt mm. it was like love bomb to the max. Um, you know, mm. going from having no friends at all to all these strangers who were like, and some of it was genuine, you know, pe- people were genuine, but you, looking back, I can tell that most of it was just very love bomby and, oh my gosh, this new person, she's so lonely. And this is like, this is how we're going to really get our hooks into her. And so looking mm. back, I see that, but at the time it felt amazing. It was like, everyone wanted to know me. What's your name? Oh, you have such a cool name. Where do you go to school? Oh, Arbine, that's amazing. You know, just very, it was all about, you know, me, the people who not, and that sounds horrible. I <laughs> me take that back. 
obviously there were other new people there that night and I, they were getting the same treatment, but the people that I interacted with and that ended up being really close to me were like glued to my hip that night and were just, you know, wanted to know everything about me and, you know, and the, and the party was fun. It was white elephant. It was a good time. Um, and then afterwards, you know, the girl who was my discipler and a couple of people kind of sat me down and did the typical, I call it like the, this hook and swing or whatever you want to call it, where it was like, okay, we've had fun. Now we're going to sit down and really get into some deep, serious, uh, intimate things, even though I just met you. <laughs> but I was so intoxicated by wow. love and being around yeah. people. I was stuck in my dorm room alone for months. So I, at the time I didn't mind. I was like, we can talk about anything. I don't care. As long as you guys will be my friends. Um, mm, and so they just, okay. you know, your experience yeah. with Christianity. And I told them, you know, I grew up Christian, um, wasn't gung ho about it. You know, I, I think I called myself like a lukewarm Christian where it was like, you know, yes, I, I believe in God and Jesus, but it's not the center of my life. And, I still want to party and do all and travel and do all this stuff. And so, um, after that, I went to a meeting. I think I avoided that girl for a while because I think afterwards it was kind of overwhelming. And I was like, well, oh, I, oh, after that, I only went to parties and I didn't go to meetings. It kind of took her a while to get me to come to a, a church meeting, but I would go to their parties. Um, and the same, you know, just getting to know people, people glued to my hip all night being, you know, acting like I was like a, a new celebrity and all this stuff. So, um, so you were love bomb just one at one party. They, they kept at you. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. I, and I, and I hate to say, you know, I'm, I'm to the people listening. I, I hope I don't ever want to be hurtful because I know some of it was genuine, but at the same time, it it wasn't. It's it's so it's so complicated. It's so hard. It's a hard thing to deal with. Um, but yes, it was very strong. Up, yeah. up for a year, it was very strong. I felt like people were really, um, like they really loved me, and they thought I was super cool. And it, you know, embarrassing to admit, but it really inflated my ego a lot. <laughs> And well, I think that's yeah, it's, it's, it's a human thing. I mean, if yeah. you, you've been alone so long, you were looking for fellowship, and then these people just blow you away. They smother you with positive regard, yeah. and they look at you, and you, you, you know, they look at you like you're, you know, you're, you're, you're the best, you're the most fascinating person they've ever met. They want to know all about you, yeah. and and yeah. that's and that's where they start learning things about you that perhaps mm-hmm. in other instances you might not been as been as quick to reveal, right? Yeah, like I, I quickly went from no friends to these friends to going to their parties, going on road trips with them. Um, and the road trips were fun, of course, but, mm-hmm. sure. um, looking back, I always tell my mom and I talk about this today. I remember I went to the beach with them. They had to their beach trip and my mom the night before actually begged me. And was crying and begged me not to go because she was like, you know, Ronnie, I don't trust these people. You don't know these people very well. You've only known them a few months. And I I just think it's kind of weird that you're going on this trip. I mean, I was very poor, too. I didn't have a job. Um, So I didn't pay to go on the trip. You know, they were very lenient about that. And she 
the night before I left for that and a couple other road trips, she just was like, you know, I don't know these people. And she was very worried. And, you know, I was a typical 19 year old, you know, mom, whatever, you know, um, didn't really listen, but that was, that kind of stri- strikes me looking back. But anyway, so I'm a bit of a rambler. <laughs> um, so finally I came to a meeting January, like mid January um of 2015 and I finally came to a meeting and I heard the gospel for the first time um my high school was they were so focused on everything but the gospel like they were very focused on the rules and learning about the bible and I really don't think if I ever heard the gospel in high school I don't think I ever paid attention or understood Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did hear like the true gospel for what I feel was the first time at that meeting. Okay. And so looking back, it was genuine. I did genuinely have a moment of like, Oh, I don't have to ask for forgiveness all the time, which is what I would do. I was like, it's a one-time thing. And it clicked. Um, and I think my, my future disciple at that time sensed that. So she took me out and we sat on the steps and, um, uh, she was just kind of like, you know, what did you think? And I, I told her, I was like, I've, I've, I've never heard of this gospel before. This is crazy. And, um, she was like, well, do you want to pray to accept Christ with me? And so we did all of that. And it was like, it was a special moment. Um, and something to note about me is I, I have really, really bad ADHD, which, um, which can cause kind of like, delayed learning slow emotional processing um mm. really bad at boundaries easily manipulated and so um while I do think that I genuinely had a moment with God where I was like wow okay I I understand what the gospel is mm-hmm. um looking back I do think um it was a combo of I felt convinced but it was also I'm a very slow emotional processor. So that happened and it never really clicked with me that mm-hmm. I actually accepted Christ. If, if that kind of makes sense sure. until it was, I think a year into Xenos, I was like, Oh, Whoa, I, I had this big moment and I didn't process it until like a year later, if that makes sense. So that looking back, that's kind of strange to think about. And well, it's, it's, like, it's your experience though. I mean, you know, I, I, if you yeah. genuinely embrace Christ, if you, you know, faith, faith never depends on emotion anyway. I mean, it's faith. Faith yeah. is something that you, that you, you exhibit absolute trust in, you know, you don't always have to, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't always have to have this big emotional rush. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, when yeah. I accepted Christ, uh, <laughs> uh I, <laughs> I, I, I had a deep sense of, of thankfulness afterwards, but, but like you said, people are individuals. We all we all interact with ultimate realities differently, and uh, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you genuinely felt like you like the gospel that saves anyone, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and what you trust in Him alone for your salvation, and you trust Him by faith, you confess your sins, you repent of them, and you give them up, and you accept Him, uh, accept what He's done for you by faith. Uh, like I said, I don't, I don't think emotions necessarily, necessarily tied to it. So, and, yeah. and in your situation, you know, if, if it took a little while to quit, that's, again, that's an individual, an individual interaction with that. So, so I, I believe Xenos does a lot of good by sharing what they believe is the true gospel. I mean, it, 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 it sounds yeah. biblical, but 
It's what they do afterwards that makes all the difference in the world. And, 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 and in, in fact, where they, where your response to that sometimes isn't respected or affirmed as, as it should be. And I, I think that's what, you, that's what I think you were, you were leaning at, uh, when you, when you spoke of, uh, how you were processing this, isn't it? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what happened is, so it was the first year I, um, was like, wow, this is great. I'm in a church with friends now and I have a relationship with God. And I had kind of like the lack of critical thinking. I wasn't seeing what was going on around. And then it wasn't until like a year in when they were, they kind of turned from love bombing to, all right, you're a worker now. Mm, yeah. Me, you know, you need to start bringing in ministry and all this and they were saying that to me you know that whole first year but I just wasn't it wasn't really sinking in I was just so consumed with oh I'm relieved to have friends now and they're good and they're good friends they're they're Christians they mean well Um, and then I would say after about a year or two in when I started having health issues and they started to really see the true side of me which is like severe ADHD mental illness health problems that's when things started to go wrong and I was like you know why isn't everyone why is it not like it was the first year and why is it why is it changed and why am I suddenly noticing these things that are really scary how did I not notice that um mm. so yeah that's kind of was there a so, moment in which you could yeah. you could is there like a like an aha moment or a light bulb moment which you could tell that there had been that change or was it gradual over the year? It just became more and more, you became more and more aware of the conditional, the, the conditional uh, nature of their uh, interaction with you. Uh, was it instant or was it more gradual? You'd be something that dawned on you. Honestly, somehow it was both. It the, So it was gradual. There was the gradual was me. And that was me secretly in my head. I never told I would maybe tell like my friend Neela that I was talking about earlier. Like I had a few friends that I would confide in and be like, Hey, this is all a lot. (laughs) Um, But besides that, it was very internal. And um, so the gradualness was with me internally. And my aha moment was um, I have two very good friends from high school. Um, We'll call them uh, A and B. (laughs) identity but um sure. they're my best high school and they I would um hang out with them I kind of we kind of distanced because I was so gung-ho in Xenos and they were both in college getting um these really awesome degrees and I wasn't in college anymore so we kind of distanced a little bit um and then finally after a few years in Xenos and they had graduated and moved back to Columbus and we all reconnected the three of us and I would I remember hanging out with them and I told them something. I don't remember what I told them. I think it was something about like the culture of the ministry house or something or, um, and both of my two friends would, their faces, they would just be like, what, what did you just say? Um, and the more I hung out with them, I think my aha moment happened when I said, I don't remember what I said, but we were hanging out. And they finally had had it. And they were like, you know, everything, they were like, every time you tell us about your experiences, we get really worried. And this is not normal. And, you know, they're very supportive of, you know, they understand my my deficits with the ADHD. And 
they were very helpful to be like, you know, have you ever once thought for yourself that this is what you want to do? So they started, Mm. they were little in that kind of like, you know, do you understand that what was said to you was wrong and helping me turn it around and question and be like, you know, I I just going to them so many times, so miserable and almost wanting to cry, but I wouldn't. And I would just tell them, Oh, you know, this is something that was said to me. It was really messed up, but it's okay. And they were like, no. So they were very good. They never once shied away from like, you know, hearing something that was questionable or abusive. They were very like, Oh my gosh, you deserve better. And they started to get on board with that. And so, um, so it was kind of both gradually in my head, I would see things. Um, the first time I ever in my head on my own without my two friends, like I would say my second year is when I, um, my mentor, my discipler told me, Hey, randomly out of the blue, Hey, don't ever Google Xenos. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to, (laughs) (laughs) um, and I did. And I, I looked it up at night and, um, and I did it on like a private software mode because we had spy software on our phones. So I went to like a private iPhone. You had spy software on your phone. Who installed that? Hold on. Whose direction of that? So that, um, oh, I, mean, I think I know the answer, but you know, <laughs> um, but, yeah, but, but I don't know who started it. Um, but I do know that in the college group, it was required. I don't know for for vinyl for our group, it was required. Like we had a girls' cell group meeting, and they all made us bring our laptops and phones. And we had to sit down, make an account, and we had to find someone in the house to be our accountability partner. And so basically, yeah. it was meant for Christian parents, and it was meant for parents to keep an eye on their children. But we were adults doing this. And, again, this ties in with my lack of, you know, when I get overwhelmed, my processing turns off, and I go into survival mode. So at the time, I don't. I don't think I had any thoughts about the spy software. I just was like, okay, this is happening. And I clearly am not allowed to go against it. And so they made a sign up. We all had a person. And so basically how it worked is everything on your internet and your phone and your laptop was monitored and you could adjust the settings. So the settings could be super sensitive. So like if the word, if a cuss word comes up, then that will send an alert to your accountability partner's email or you could make it um less sensitive so it was basically like it would have to be something like porn or something and then that would alert it and so there were levels um and they let you choose which level um but i remember having that on my phone and being really scared to google xenos and so i'd iPhone has like a private browsing mode and I don't know how private it is. I don't know much about technology, but I just Googled and I knew Reddit at the time was a big, um, other people had said, you know, there's a couple posts on Reddit threads on Reddit about Xenos. And so I just Googled like Xenos Reddit. And the first thing that came up was Mark Kennedy's website. Xenos is a cult. Um, and I spent like hours reading that. Um, and just, and I was alone in my room that night, my roommate was gone and I just was like crying at the stories that I was reading. And I was so, I was terrified. 
And then I read the Reddit stuff and I was just like, oh my gosh, I think I've gotten myself into something, but I was so scared. I just buried it. Yeah. I deleted the history and I just was like, okay. What was um, it? What was it? Randy, <laughs> what was it about those stories? As you read, you know, Mark's Kennedy's website and you mark, you read, uh, um, the Reddit posts. What mm-hmm. was it? Was there any one thing or a group of things? Or what was it about those stories, those testimonies, those reports that, that frightened you so much, that, that made you really think that you were involved in something? How did it connect with your reality? Um, it was the pain. A lot of people would write these long stories about getting kicked out. I would say for me, the main thing that really, to answer your question, was reading the stories someone would say something almost really innocent, like, oh, you know, I, I got to, well, innocent, quote unquote, I got to second base with my partner and then I was kicked out. Or I, you know, accidentally had a relapse and I was immediately kicked out. Stuff like that where it was, you know, I had friends who I had experienced doing the same thing, but they weren't kicked out. And so it was overwhelming to see, well, you know, what is going on in other home church groups, you know, mm. can't trust my home church. And it was, the and another thing to other, also try to answer your question, it was the magnitude and the, the quantity of the stories. It was, there nice. were so many, like it, it took me hours and I couldn't read every story because there were so many. And um, a big thing I noticed is just the pain in these people's voices. They were like, really really sad people saying I had to be hospitalized because I was kicked out to the streets I had no family there was nowhere for me to go you know I was I was kicked out and you know completely shunned nobody would talk to me and I just was like this is and then it scared me because I was like well that's not been my experience so far you know I've seen some weird stuff but I just can't believe and it was so it was just shocking Mm. Um, and it just was, you know, I'm a very emotional, sensitive person, especially when it comes to other people's stories. And I just, I just couldn't believe it. And I don't know, it scared me so much that I suppressed it. I was just too scared to even deal with it. Right. Yeah, the burned limb will immediately, you know, a burn. If you've burned yourself, and when you're recovering from a burn, if you get anything close to a, a, heat, a source of heat, what do you do? You you recoil, you uh-huh. run away, and and that's what apparently you hit. You hit your limit, and you just felt there's only one way to handle this, and that was to completely dump it, right? Yeah, yeah. I just was like, okay, I'm gonna pretend like I didn't read all that and I'm just going to try really hard yeah. to give the benefit of the doubt to my home church and trust these people and um, yeah that's yeah yeah wow wow that must yeah. have been that, that must have been a, a, a an earth shaking moment hard. yeah I I would I um I would go home and visit my parents a lot um because I'm very close with my parents and um, whenever I go through hard times, I, I get a little, I become a little bit of a homebody. And so mm-hmm. I remember that and going home to my parents for the weekend and I wanted to tell them so badly because they would ask all the time, you know, how's your church? How are things? 
And I just remember being like, oh, everything's completely great. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And I couldn't tell them. It was just so hard, you know, and I wanted to tell my friends A and B who weren't in, who were in college at the time. And I just was like, I can't. I can't tell anybody this. It's going to pop up on my – I felt so, like, tracked. I was like, some, they're going to hear it through my phone call on my phone or something. I don't mean this in a, in, a, in a negative sense at all because, hey, we're all human. But do you think it may, do you think some of the reasons why people, when they hear things like that and they, they get into a, a state of denial and not wanting to, to face it, do you think it may be because it's, it's maybe just a little bit of ego, a little bit of, 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 of wounded self-interest that keeps them from wanting to reach out? I mean, they, they don't want to be found they, they don't want to be. They don't want to have people catch them and say, "Oh, look what you did! Look at the oh, mistake I, you made." Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, if I told them, then they'd be like, "Well, you're a part of this church. You've contributed." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, we told you so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little bit. I think it was mostly fear. Um, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, there was ego involved too, but for me, it was more like I was in. It was like I was embarrassed. I was like, I yeah. can't believe I put yeah. up in this. And yeah. what will my parents think of me if they find? You know, what will right. they? Right, right. And Ronnie, I'm not. I'm not implying it. I'm not implying. I'm not. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying hey, oh, we're all God. human. We we all feel this way. No, nobody wants to be told that they were wrong, or or or, or do you have anyone no, um, perceive or found out? That they may have yeah. made a mistake because we're all human. Nobody wants to. I, I'm I'm a 62 year old man. I don't like to admit I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Oh yeah. You know, but, uh-huh. but I am. I'm often I'm wrong often quite frequently because because I'm human. So so I understand. Exactly. I'm, I'm not yeah, I'm not trying to be critical, but but I think no, it's no. just important. It's important because I think a lot of people really really hold on, hold fast to things longer than they should because of that. Sometimes it's and it's and it becomes an unfortunate part of human nature that keeps people sometimes from, from reaching out long, long uh, after they, they're, uh, when, when they could have. Yes. And w- now that you say that, actually, I, I, for, for the co- past couple months now, I've really been trying to work on my bitterness and, you mm-hmm. know, cause I, I blocked the people I was most close with that hurt me. I blocked them and cut off communication and, um, and I, I did it for me. I didn't do it because I hated them. I did it to protect right. myself. Right. I was just constantly sure. ruminating and checking their socials, and it was very unhealthy. Um, and I've been trying really hard to be like, you know, how can I go from bitterness to forgiveness? Because I, I still, it's still hard for me to forgive. But when you say that now, honestly, that does kind of help me put more into perspective of, yeah, they hurt me, and I hurt people too, and. The people that really hurt me, you know, who's, you know, I can't speak for them, but I feel like there had to be many times where that maybe they felt the same way, where they were like, oh, my gosh, I'm really in this too far. I'm saying stuff to my my uh, mentee that is hurtful, but, you know, I can't, I can't go back or, you know, stuff like that. And I feel like you saying that has I've just now kind of helped me put into perspective of, you know, mm-hmm. everything that's in us, they are human. We yeah. all have egos. We all, yeah. you know, maybe they are scared. Maybe they're scared and they did what I did and they wanted to deny yeah. it. And they didn't want to admit to do being involved right. with this illness. And, 
you know, maybe they were manipulated into this too and all this stuff. So I'm I'm sure they were. I mean, for a 22 year old person to be given the spiritual oversight over 18, 19 year old people, it's a rush. It makes you feel like you've arrived somewhere, but really you have no more life experience or wisdom about it than the person you're supposedly mentoring. So there's a certain humility you lose because just because yeah. of, the, of the authority. And and really, I, I, I'm not trying to make excuses. I, I certainly believe there's wrong and right and all this, and, and, and you definitely were a victim of, of, of abusive things, and you saw things that were very damaging, and, and I'm not taking anybody off the hook, but at the same time, I think we, I think if we all understood this as, as a situation in which authority just was so terribly misplaced, trusts were so totally betrayed, that it, it helps people look, I think maybe you look a little beyond what, what, what they struggle with just in the immediate moment. I'm only mentioning it as a matter of passing. I wasn't trying to, you know, draw a long thing out, but it, but it is something to think about. And it, it's something that I, I, over these past several months of interviewing people that I've, I've, I've come to really see, you know, I think that's really what's going on. Uh, there's a lot of victims here. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not excusing anybody for any wrong they've done, but, but like you said, there's a lot of people who are, who, who, are, who as they say, uh, hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> and that's what happens. Yeah. And what I noticed too is because my discipler was a little like a, maybe six months younger than me and that that was never an issue honestly Mm -hmm. but uh I remember learning more about discipleship and what it was and in my head I was like it feels kind of dangerous to be putting all these new Christians in charge it's like taking someone who a year ago was um just not a Christian at all and maybe in a you know, with bad people or doing bad things. And then a year later, they're a Christian now. And then within six months, they have this, a huge amount of responsibility given to them. And it, it is a rush. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you go from being like, oh my gosh, a year ago, I was this degenerate or something, or I was an unchristian. And now I'm in charge of like three people a week. And I report the, all their doings to my leaders. And that makes me feel important. And, I'm in leadership training classes and it, it really does kind of, um, it's, it, it is like good for the, it have builds up your ego, but it's also really scary. And I think right. people can't handle that. And so I think that's where a lot of things have gone wrong. You have these young people, you know, the twenties are rough. <laughs> sure. Um, early twenties are very rough and add on top of that newly discovering that you're, a disciple of God now and you're in charge of these people's spiritual well-being and it's it's very daunting and I can see how that you know because I I was given a girl to disciple and I felt that a little bit and I made a lot of mistakes because I didn't know what I was doing Mm -hmm. right I wasn't trained I didn't know how and it led to a lot of kind of a lot of conflict between me and that girl and we're friends today but I can see now how it really damaged her because I didn't know what I was doing. And so I ended up hurting her in a lot of ways because I was, you know, I was so overwhelmed and I just constantly being pressured over and over and over. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do Mm -hmm. this. It was, it was suffocating. So yeah, I, um, 
that's something I try to think about when working on forgiveness too, is, you know, these people, they're all being controlled by someone and that someone mm-hmm. is controlling someone and it's a hierarchy and right. it's dangerous and it's so sad. Right. And it definitely is a hierarchy. I mean, and there's definitely yeah. a top of the pyramid and, and there's definitely a bottom of, of, of the food chain. <laughs> there's a yeah. pecking order here. It's, it's just very, very human. I mean, even though it's supposed to be uh, a, a structure based upon, you know, the, you know, the, the work of the Holy Spirit within, uh, you know, redeemed Christian minds, hearts, souls, and lives coming together. You know, yeah. ultimately it becomes a machine in which religion and ritual are, mm-hmm. are used to muster allegiance and obedience. It's, it's something, it's becomes something entirely different. And it, and, and what's so, what's so maddeningly difficult to understand here and that I've learned over the past year is that Xenos sounds so squeaky clean. Letter after letter, I get from people who want to dissent with me and say, "Well, well, where are they unbiblical? You know, where, where are they disobeying the Bible? You know what? And, and you know what? There, there aren't many verses I can say that necessarily where where I see disagreement with Muslims in terms of their theology. But the issue isn't theology. The issue is is, is far from theology. It's how people treat one another." Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's something far more basic that, 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 that theology should, should speak to, but apparently it doesn't. Why? Because there's an oral tradition. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a handed down wisdom people give, uh, the, the, the disciples are given, uh, from those over them and, and they over them receive it from someone else. It's handed down orally in which people are told, this is how you do it, man. This yeah. is how you handle people. Uh, verses, and then they, and then they take a verse or two here and, 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 and turn it into a Bible hammer, uh, to yeah. make sure they comply with you. I mean, uh, I mean, that's what I've seen, uh, and, and, and apparently that, that's what you, you, you've experienced. Yeah, there is, I wrote down this quote, um, that I saw a while ago that reminded me of Zenos and, I thought it would be applicable for this interview. It's, it's by, his name's Reverend Benjamin Kremer. I was on Twitter, and his quote says, Christianity should sound like, I am committed to deepening my love for others and seeking their best, and not, I am obsessed with how others are not conforming to my own personal beliefs and systems, and I must make them do so exactly. by any necessary. Yeah. And I think that. That is just Zenos dwell in a nutshell. It's it's turned from we want people to be their best, you know, we want people to have really deep, meaningful walks with God and be them best selves. And it's turned from that into you're not conforming to Dennis McCallum's curriculum. And if and if you mm-hmm. can't do that, then you are weak. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. you are not meant for the church yeah. and you are not strong and you will never be a oh, strong Christian. Right. It's very black and white. Right. Exactly, and and that's what I've I've, I've pointed out, you know, in in articles and things I've written, I've, I've commented, I've commented here on the podcast. That's what's called a hidden curricula. You know, you can have a school or you can have a church with a program saying that you know we're we're here to present the gospel, and here's the real theology, here's the real belief, here's here's what we believe, here's what we stand for, and yet on the dark flip side. 
when you start really digging into it and examining what's going on in within um, that group of people, there's actually a, a hidden set of rules and requirements and dictates and and uh, tests of fellowship um, and standards of living you're expected to live by, which aren't necessarily spelled out on paper, but they're as I said, they're handed down. It's what they choose to live by. And yeah. unfortunately, that's what—that's exactly what uh, is being referred to here in this, in this quote. And that's what I've seen in, in every single cultic movement that I have been uh, looking at for the past thirty years. This is oh what's been God. going on. This—this this is what this is. This—it's—and it's a very human thing. Getting back to human, this is what human nature is all about. It's all about people wanting to follow other people. And look for people who are authority figures. Look for someone to tell them how to live. And there's always the authority people. I mean, the people who want to be an authority who are ready to tell you what to do. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. That that's what that's where that's where I think Xenos really makes its its fatal flaws. And it's and it's 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 institutionalized. They view this as gospel truth, but they'll never tell you that the gospel truth they live by is, is what they're handing down one to another. There's nothing on print saying all this. Yeah. No one ever said directly to me, you know, you, this is, you know, um, this is exactly how we're meant to live our life. You know, if you don't, no one's ever directly said, if you don't do this, you know, there will be consequences. Right. It's all very subtle and manipulative and coercive and, abusive by tact but by like you know mental games and tactics and stuff and it's 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 a long the long con i call it is the long con is and then once you're in they're like well you agreed to this you know and if you disagree you should have said something why didn't you tell us if you disagree that's wrong you're disagreeing with dennis you're disagreeing with god and do Mm -hmm. you do you want to disagree with god and that's that's how it can just get so manipulative there were so many times i would go into my disciple hangout meetings and i would be so prepared i would spend all the night before to prepare how to say in a safe way you know i'm upset about something or whatever and i would go into it and i would leave feeling just like brain what not brainwashed just feeling like completely trampled on but in a very subtle way and yeah. I was just, I didn't get to say anything, but maybe I, you know, and I see now why I shouldn't have said anything and they're right. I was wrong. I should have never questioned. And it's, it's very, it's very hard and it's, it's hard to heal from because they basically teach you to stay away from independent thinking. Mm-hmm. They teach you, yeah. you know, how to, I remember one time I was trying to meditate at nighttime because I had really bad, um, I have really bad sleep disorder issues at the time and not the kind of med you know I think there's all kinds of meditation and I remember saying oh I keep someone was like what are you doing and I was like oh I'm just trying to meditate and they're like you should not be doing that it's you know it's not biblical to empty the mind that's where Satan can come in mm-hmm. and I was like well I'm not doing any witchcraft or anything it's not I'm not emptying my mind and inviting Satan I was mm-hmm. like it's to me it was like I think it's healthy so, you know, God wants us to care for our bodies and our minds and a five minute meditation to help me lower my heart rate 
is not a sin. <laughs> um, you know, I don't, and I think God has bigger things to worry about than me doing a five minute yoga meditation at nighttime mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I think God created us to be thinkers, to think critically, to, right. you know, like he created us not right. to be thrones or his little sheep. And I, and that's how it feels. And Xenos, it's, if you have any sort of independent thought, then that's wrong. And that means that you're giving into Satan. It's, yeah. I felt much like they almost worship Satan in a way because he's talked about as much as God, if not even more. Mm-hmm. And it was very overwhelming and yeah. kind of scary. It's as almost as if when you when you when you do read some of Dennis's readings or some of or some of the teachings you hear in Zenos about Satan and his power and demons and et cetera, et cetera, the spirit world, it's as almost as if they present uh, a universe in which there's actual dualism, as if God and Satan are these equally powerful adversaries at war with each other, you know, yeah. constantly, you know, God's, God's slip might slip. Be careful. You know, it's, 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 it's as if God is, is proclaimed as, as someone who's, who's just barely able to make his own. And that but there's something we might do to upset the bound, which is so totally unbiblical. You know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 I can quote so many verses right now. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a preacher, which I am, but there are no. so many verses in scripture which, which say exactly just the opposite. You know, Satan was, was created by God as, as Lucifer. You know, he, he, he's, he's just an angel of light, the, the Bible speaks. So, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm ready to start preaching, but I don't need to. But the point is, that's the kind of God that, like you said, that 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 Zenos presents um, to the world as the true divine being, but they speak yeah. of Satan as someone who could, who might just get the upper hand, depending on what you and I might do. And, and that's that's just so totally wrong. That's how it felt. And I, I remember taking LTC was so mind opening because everything I was learning. I was com- almost completely like opposing secretly in my head. I would like, you know, I'd write it down and I'd study it. And in my head, I'd be like, for example, they were like, you know, we did this whole semester on how Satan is already defeated and we have nothing to worry about. And, you know, talking about the end times and all this stuff. And, and then the next semester was all about Satan and what you said, Oh, be careful you know, any minute he could really get, he could really get you or any minute God's foot could slip, like you said, and Satan could win. And it it was very contradicting. And I Mm. did not do well on those exams (laughs) because I was confused. And I will say they do a really good job at studying like deeply into the Bible. And they're very good about getting to the context of the verses but I think at the same time, that's part of their downfall is they focus so much on what the Bible says. You know, for example, they built their whole ministry house model and way of living off of, I think, it's, I think it's an ax. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to model the way people lived in the Bible. Um, but I think if you're kicking people out because they can't handle that way of lifestyle, then I don't think that's biblical. Yeah, and it's yeah. kind of, but they yeah. can't see they can't yeah. um 
a girl that you interviewed, um, I think her name was Sarah. She had, she made a really good point about how once you're in Xenos, it's like someone takes their hands and puts it in your peripheral vision and you can't see. Um, and all you see is Xenos. And until you step away and out of it, you realize just how isolating it is and how cultish it that's why people call it a cult because it, it you know once they put their blinders on you it's like you can't and they they train you so hard to think xenos only xenos only you know mm-hmm. you know all the, you know just uh what's what's the uh, book called organic discipleship and all this stuff and once you step out of that it's very shocking and you're like oh my gosh I, we sound like a bunch of nuts. Like this sounds crazy mm-hmm. and it's very contradictory. And a lot of the things that they're saying in this, in the LTC classes were like very opposing and confusing. And um, I remember I, I quit one cause I had back problems and I, I had to focus on that and I had a back injury, but also I was just done. I was like, I can't handle one more class of this, of, just this intense brainwash what it felt like yeah because it's so smooth it was so total there, there's no way to back in or back out of it and 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 oh. um you know as i said as i've been listening to your talk here I, you know it just reminds me once again that so many people write in protesting that Zenos is not a, that Zenos can't be a cult. It believes in the Bible, <laughs> believes in the gospel, you know, it, it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, but, but see, and then, and, and, and they say that because they're so convinced that the theology, which we've been speaking right. about, the doctrine is pure and perfect and, and, and yeah. it's, 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 it's sound. But I'm not, the issue about the Zenos being a cult, as we've mentioned here, time and time again in our interviews here with other people is that is that Xenos's cultism extends to its 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 control of people mm-hmm. in, in it's in a very literal sense. And and we've mentioned the fact that there there's 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 a um there are eight forms of cultic mind control that yeah. come to mind when we speak of Xenos. And what we're talking about right now is what's is what Xenos would call, without saying so, a sacred science. Their doctrine is perfect. It's flawless. It's divinely yeah. inspired. It's the new revelation that's going to save the planet. Uh, there's everything else falls before it. It has. It's the only okay. truth on the earth, and you have to live your life according to what it tells you. And, and if and if there's a deficit, if there's a problem with it, it's not because of doctrine. It's because of you. You're failing yeah. to measure up to it. And now that now that principle called the sacred science is one that is one of the marks of cultic mind control every cult has this belief that their way their vision their interpretation of scripture or, or, or spirituality is the only infallible way to god and 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 for you to to suggest that you could break it or or get out of it or take a break from it is absolutely intolerable it's, it's like it's it's the second unforgivable sin and that's exactly what we're talking about. That's exactly why you you felt there, I think, because what she's being presented is something you can't you can't get out of. It. You you got to be totally enslaved to this. And this is the only truth. And to think otherwise is is is, is you know you know kind yeah. of have, have a lightning bolt zeroing on your head. 
my favorite thing that was always told at big meetings was, you know, God, God favors Columbus. This is only happening Columbus. Um, Our church leaders at our our women's cell group would constantly talk about this retreat that the elders and the founders had where, you know, I don't remember everything, but the main thing I remember is they said that someone started speaking in tongues and someone interpreted as God has favor on Columbus. God knows that Zenos is the only church in America and maybe even the world that's doing things right. Really? Wow. When did that that take place? What year was that? I have no idea. Um, I really don't know. Probably like within the last six or seven years. But I just remember the main girl who was our main home church leader would talk about, she was very close with um, Conrad and, and then she was kind of close with those people. And she, so I think they would kind of tell, I think maybe they just shared her that retreat story one time and she shared it with us. And then, afterwards people would ask to like hear that story again and I just went uh, I was just like what and you believe that (laughs) you know I'm sorry but I just I was like you know I don't know anything about tongues I won't speak on that I won't speak on what I don't know but to hear that same to hear Dennis and them saying God told me that our church is the number one in the world I was like no that's just not true. Could it be number like one of the top ones? Like in their mind, sure. Like I think Xenos before all the bad stuff started to happen, before all they really got into their like science, their sacred science, sure they were doing things differently that is not seen a lot and maybe in the beginning was really cool and not a lot of churches in America or the world were doing, but when I heard that, I just was like, I, yeah. Was, yeah. I didn't feel, I felt weird. Yeah. And laughed a little bit because I just couldn't. Uh. <laughs> it's, it's interesting you mentioned that, Ron, because you're not the first person that's told me this story. And I've always wanted, every time I hear it, I've always wanted to dig in. Wanted, who, where, when, who, what, how? See, because from what I understand, uh, way back in the day, back in the early '90s, when the so-called Toronto Blessing, which was a, which was a huge explosion of um, interest in charismatic and Pentecostal practices, which involved speaking in tongues and prophecy and that and the like, when that swept through uh, America back in the mid '90s, um, yeah, that was something that. McCallum and Zenos were were dead against, and so for, so here we are. What ten years later, ten years later, suddenly mm-hmm. this pops up at a leadership retreat, and suddenly it's God's stamp of approval upon yeah. upon upon the movement. See, this is another example of mm-hmm. of, of cultic mind control. This is this is the principle called mystical manipulation, in which there's a yeah. staged event. There's this. Ex, there's this expression of divine power of manifestation, uh, you know, something that 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 that's not of this world, that's supernatural, that makes it sound as if, or, or, or is meant to, you know, uh, uh, commend to everyone present that that there's this divine seal of approval being stamped upon 
uh, the activity going on there. That's exactly what that is. And again, cults involved in this all the time. And and here you are telling me about what is nothing yeah. else to me except mystical manipulation. I mean, I'm, I'm a Pentecostal minister. I've seen this all my <laughs> life as a minister. Yeah, and, I, exactly. and I know what it is. And now you're telling me how it was in us the most biblical, biblically centered uh, um, fellowship of the planet now has to has God give his seal of approval through tongues and interpretation. That's very interesting, Ronnie. Thank you for telling me that story because I know it's, it's, it's certainly something people need to hear about. Exactly. And I, I would always try to probe a little bit and ask questions. And there were never answers that they were yeah. never, oh, well, I don't know anymore to the story. I don't know anymore. And I was like, okay. And I stopped because I was like, they either they really don't know or they don't, that's their, what do you call it? They only are sharing what they want us to know. Oral tradition. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's something that's just commending them. That's just proving to everyone. This is the way, this is the way walkie in it, you know, <laughs> using King James yeah. version English. Yeah. It's, it's um, very indicative. So, mm-hmm. so, so I would say that, you know, after you had this horrible, horrible, Reaction after reading all the web websites and and com, you pushed all the way. That was a sign of the independent thinking being rejected, and you choosing yeah. to prove to jump yourself and go back and go deeper, and and that's what resulted. I think you started going into the LTC classes. So, so yeah. as, as you got more and more involved in and more and studying more. Did the doubts go away? I mean, what happened after that? Did, did, did your faith renew or, or what happened? Because apparently, you know, some, some time went here and sounded like things are getting rougher on you there because you're having so much struggle with it. Um, after LTC, after I stopped, there was, um, a tiny bit of flack for stopping LTC from my mentors. You know, they were like, you really need to do this. And I was like, why well, I really need to focus on my back, which almost broke. <laughs> but um, after that, I, I would say things got downhill. My doubts got higher. My anxiety on the, on the, and I don't know if it's appropriate to be negative in this way and call myself a liar, but, and honestly, I kind of became a liar on the outside. I did everything they wanted to do. I would push back against a couple things. Like if, like, especially with stuff with my mental health, I would push back. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the girl that I was mentoring or, you know, bringing out ministry or stuff, I would just go along with it. And I would lie and say that I was comfortable and committed to Xenos. Mm-hmm. But I, it, to me, it felt like I, I had to do that or else I was so terrified of getting kicked out. And so mm-hmm. after LTC classes, um, I don't know if this timeline is right. And, um, Again, I want to protect the privacy of this woman, but I think it, I think it was after LTC classes and I stopped when we had a young woman who was similar to me. She had a lot of health issues, a lot of mental health issues, both physical and mental. And it was very, very hard for her to be in the ministry house. You know, imagine having really bad social anxiety and you live in a room with like three girls and it's super cramped. Mm. And there's fire hazards everywhere. Oh, and every night we host people. So if, and so she was often stuck up in her room and not really by choice. Um, and they were very hard on her. 
and we're like, you know, you are choosing your health over God. And mm-hmm. I remember today, um, my discipler and her sister, who was the leader of our home church and a couple of the other girls that I was really close to, I call them, I would just call it my group of mentors. We'll just start to make it easier. Okay, sure. Um, these sure. girls. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just saying no. No, okay. We'll, we'll call them that. Sure. Yeah. So when I say like my, my group of mentors, it was the girls that I was closest to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyway, and I look up to them and right. uh, they came to me in my room one day. They all sat me down. It was very weird. And they were like, we need to talk about something. I was like, this is it. They found my search history or something. <laughs> um, and they were oh, like, no. we are kicking um, this woman out of the house. We are removing her from the house. And here's why. And they told me the reasons, you know, she's a distraction. She's not healthy for the house. She's putting her health before God. That's not healthy. She needs to endure this type of suffering so that she can get back to being clean. You know, all this stuff, all this brainwash. Mm-hmm. And at the end, they were like, do you have any questions? And I really didn't because I was horrified. And I, I just kind of was like, okay. Because I knew, I was like, well, what am I going to say? No, you can't do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what, what, what kind of question can you have? Yeah. It's like, this is happening and you can't do anything about it, but do you have questions? And I was just like, nope. And I, barely anyone helped her move out. Um, and she was going back home to, a, I'm trying to remember, it wasn't an abusive, it was in a dangerous situation. Um, again, I'm trying to, get around basically is she was moving back home to where it was dangerous living conditions for her. Yeah. yeah. Basically she was going to be doing even worse. This ministry house to her was like a haven. Yeah. And here they are. And she had no choice. And, um, and they just treated her so terribly and mm. were so annoyed by her and treated her like she was a burden. And I, um, and I regret not, there's a lot of regret. I wish we would have stuck up for her. I wish we would have said something, you know, I wish we would have tried to stop it. There were a couple of girls w- who were on my side and who thought it was really messed up, but we were silenced. You know, there's nothing we could do. Um, and she eventually just left because I'm sure it was very painful because, and she would, she would need rides and people were very sneaky about like, Oh, I can't give you a ride. I'm busy or something or, and it was just so hard. And that was in the, ever since then, it was just a cascade of moments like that where I was disgusted and also scared. I was like, that could happen to me. You know, if I complain about my back or my depression or, you know, I have some like health, some bladder issues. If I, if, complain about my bladder too much they could kick me out you know I could annoy them to the point where it's a burden and they could kick me out and so that really frightened me and we all that's sad yeah that's yeah um whatever happened to the verse the bible which in which we're all called to bear one other's births and so fulfill the law of christ that just floats I'm sorry that just floated into my mind there I had to say something so sorry No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. No, no, that's what that's what I wanted to say. I mean, I I mean, this is what the Bible says. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. Instead, when you have a burden, you can't do that, though, in Zenos, can you? 
no. And for them, the, the burden stuff, it's like conditional. It's like, well, we'll support you. But if, you know, if you're going to be in your room sick all the time, that's, that's really crossing a line. Yeah. And after that, you know, my, my health started going downhill and, um, I was compared constantly to other people who had it worse than me. I mean, way worse. We had a couple of people in the church who had a lot of really scary health issues, a lot of debilitating. We had a, an, another woman who was in group with me with a very debilitating health issue. And she was, she was, um, a good person. She was kind and she was very strong and very admirable for her to be so involved despite having her health issues. But anytime I would try to lament or just seek out empathy, they'd be like, well, look at so-and-so. She has no problems. She lives in the house. She has it worse than you that, you know, she can do it. So can you, and you know, you're, you're putting God. So I just, stuff like that kept happening. And it was just, and then I witnessed a a disciplinary meeting and that was absolutely horrible, almost traumatic. Because it was just so, it, it felt like a, a bad dream. It was so inhumane and it was so, um, you know, it was all of us together reading letters to this other woman who was getting kicked out, um, who we were, we gathered to vote to kick her out. And it, they were reading these letters that were really manipulative and harsh, very, very hurtful letters. and. Um, were these then, letters written by people in, 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 the, in the ministry house? Yeah, it was. So the people reading the letters were the ones that wrote, and it was letters to her, and some of the letters were like, yeah. I'm disappointed in you, and other letters were, I'm begging you to please give up this sin and repent, and other letters were, you know, you've just, you've really, you know, you've caused me a lot of depression. You've really hurt me through your sin. Very selfish. You know, this is how it's all affecting me. It was all about, you know, you're affecting the home church. Because that was the point of kicking people out was you basically become like a cancer to the home church in their eyes. And you have and they have to kick you out to cure the home church, basically. And mm-hmm. so we had a and everyone voted and she left. They gave her a chance to say something. She left. Um, and then immediately after our head home church leader told us we were not allowed to contact her we were not allowed to you know delete her number don't contact her if you see her in public do not engage with her give her you know purposely telling us to give her the cold shoulder so that she can feel that isolation and suffering and and she would want to come back and that after that I was really scared and I was like oh my god or gosh, I'm sorry. I have to get out. Like I have to get out of this. This is horrible. Oh, man, Ronnie. That was scary. That, yeah, that. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's real Twilight Zone stuff here. I mean, that's what it is. It is. I mean, it's it's there's a surreality to this that you say to yourself, "Man, I can't believe this is happening," but it is. Why? Because it's the reality Xenos has set forth is the only godly way to live. Yep. Wow. Incredible. So, so how much longer were you within Xenos after, after that uh, took place? So I think that was like 2018, 2019. Um, and 
I would say end of 2018 and all of 2019 was when things started to get really, really tense. I was working a lot and working really late at the shop job. And I was getting a lot of, I was getting rebuked a lot for putting that job. You know, it was flower arranging for weddings and stuff. And so Friday nights, I would have to stay late sometimes and help her, my boss, and I would get, you know, I would miss the cell meeting and come home at 10 and every time it would be like, Hey, let's go talk. And I knew what the talk was going to be. And the talk was, you know, you keep missing meetings and you're, you know, you're putting this job, you're not committing. And, you know, your, your commitment is to the people in this church. And I was like, well, I see these people every day, every night at the same time, 24 seven, I live with these people you know, and it was suffocating and I would, and so I tried to find a little bit more of a voice and speak up, but it was just met with more and more flack. And the more I spoke up, um, the bigger the little chats became, like it would become a chat with my mentor to a chat with three girls and then a chat with five girls. And they would all sit me down and corner me and be like, you know, we just want to know what's going on. Why, why are you so obsessed with your health and, and working and all that stuff? Um, and then kind of, so that was happening all of 2019. Um, I was having a hard time. My, the girl that I mentored left the church. Um, we're still friends. She, um, she actually tried to get me to leave with her. Um, we secretly met up at a Taco Bell because, you know, once she left, they told me, don't communicate with her. She doesn't want to be in DNOS. She, you don't need to be her friend anymore. And I just thought, that's a bunch of BS. So we met up in a Taco Bell parking lot secretly. And she just kind of like, I, I can't remember much, but I just remember the yearning in her voice. She was like, you know, please, you have to leave this church. You know, you're not meant to be in this group. There's no privacy. There's no respect it's controlling. And, and I told her, I know, I said, I know, and I don't know how to get out, but I told her, you know, and I, and I just kind of was like, you know, I want you to know that you leaving is okay with me. Like I, it, I don't have any qualms with you leaving because she, she was actually from Ghana. Um, and the mm -hmm. whole time that she was in Dinos, they were very, she tried to take a trip one time to visit uh Ghana for like a week or a month or something and they pressured me constantly to tell her to not take that trip because it was against God's will and mm. I was like no against God's will exactly and I and so there was pushback you know I was rebuked a lot for not being a good enough mentor to her and when she left I told her you know you deserve to go to leave and go to your family you know your life is yours so that happened and I never really told anybody that I just you know people would say stuff like oh I can't believe she left and I'd just be like yeah and just kind of you know change the subject and so that was hard I felt really alone after she left um and then by the end of 2019, I was really suffering in the ministry house. Um, so I have a bladder condition, which it's really hard to explain. I don't fully understand it, but it basically, it's very prevalent in women. 
Um, and it basically just means like my bladder is really small and it's not, it doesn't do its job properly. And this hope I'm not being too open, <laughs> but I don't care. Um, this is my life. <laughs> but um, yeah. it was a big issue because it, you know, I was living my life in bathrooms basically. Right. And it, it was, it became a huge issue for me because I couldn't go five minutes without being in a bathroom. And it, right. you know, and to be honest, that's, you know, a lot of people who have this issue will tell you that's not, it's not quality of living. And a lot of people that have this bladder issue end up getting really depressed and suicidal because it really is that bad. It, it affects you that bad to where you feel like I can't live. And I didn't really get to that point, but I felt that I was spiraling to that point um, because I was living in a house with like 10 girls and two bathrooms oh my and there was wow. no, no privacy. And I mean, I'm a very private person, um, especially when it comes to the bathroom, you know, when the doors close, that means I'm in there and this someone's, you know, that's what a bathroom is for is for privacy. And a lot of the girls that were in this group were very, more open, you know, kind of like, oh, we're girls. It's just a girl thing. You know, I can do my makeup while you're in here. And I, yeah. and I was like, no, not for me. Um, <laughs> you know, like I'm really struggling over here and it, and it was really hard and people weren't knocking. They were just barging in and I would try to, yeah. you know, be like, Hey, could you respect my privacy? And they were just very like, like you're being too sensitive and you need to be more open and, there's yeah. only two bathrooms. You need to get over it. Um, yeah. And so, and that paired with, I was going through a lot of trial and error with medicine because I was trying to get on my doctor and I were trying to find a good antidepressant because I was not getting any relief from my depression. And so one thing that was prescribed by 2018, 2019 was a very heavy sedative sleep medication. And that was, excuse me and it was kind of like to help with both the depression and sleep because I had developed horrible anxiety about going to bed because of this bladder stuff you know um it really I mean it really affects you can't you can't sleep with this issue um and so I was prescribed these uh sleep medications and my doctor was like you have to be very careful with these you have to take it at the same time and you have to take it early so you can get good rest well, that did not fare well because everything in Xenos starts at 8 p.m. Yeah. College yeah. group. And so very quickly that became an issue. And I have a very distinct memory of it was after home church. It was like 9 p.m. I was so tired and I took my medicine because like eight, out 9, 9, 9.30 was like my pill time was when I would take it. And everyone was really into, you know, being social after meetings. A lot of people would go out and walk and go to fast food and stuff. Um, and I remember being in the car in the back seat and I just, I could feel myself like going in and out of consciousness. I was slurring my words. I mean, I should have been asleep. It was dangerous to stay awake on this medication because um, it made you look like you were on drugs or something. Yeah. And I remember one of the girls in my little group of mentors was like, what's wrong with you? 
And I was like, you know, you need to stay awake. You know, you, you need to fight this. And I was like, well, I, it's my medication. I, I was prescribed this medication. Um, and she was like, well, I just don't think it's, 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 it's good for you. It's really inhibiting your time after home church. And mm. they didn't let me go home. I was just dragged around in a car in the back seat, miserable, wanting so badly to be asleep. And they just were driving around, laughing, being rowdy, getting food. And I finally just was, you know, was like, please take me home. Like I had to beg almost, it feels like. And they dropped me off and then they went back and hung out. Um, and so after that, um, I was, I was done and I just kind of had this revelation of I can't be in the ministry house anymore. I didn't want to leave Xenos. I was still like, okay, I could come to the meetings and still give it a chance. But this, this ministry house thing is not working. I'm going, you know, I don't want to be crude, but this is the truth. I was like, if I continue living in this house, I'm going to be suicidal. And, you know, something really bad is going to happen. And I don't have faith anymore. And so, um, and I didn't tell them and I was going to therapy. So for about a month after I wanted to move out, I went to therapy and it was actually a woman who was in Xenos that was my therapist and she was wonderful. She advocated, she was in full support. You know, she was like, there's no Bible verse that says you have to live in the house. You are free. If you think this is good for your health, you should do it. Um, and so that, and she helped kind of boost my confidence. I had to literally practice with her how I was going to bring this to attention to my discipler. And so one night I thought, okay, I'm going to tell her. So I pulled my discipler aside after a meeting and I said, Hey, you know, we can talk about this. And I understand that this is a shock, but I don't, you know, I don't want to live in the ministry house anymore. And I told her why kind of said everything I'd, I've been saying here, you know, I, this is, it's really hard for me to live in here. I'm in misery. My, you know, my body hurts, all this stuff. Um, and she got really quiet and then she just kind of started spewing Bible verses. She just kind of turned into like a talking Bible is how I went. And I don't mean that to be mean. No, not at all. Not at all. That's why, that's why I want to be careful. I, I don't want, <laughs> I want to be careful what I say, but no, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. She just begins voicing the, the, the party line, right? Yep. Yeah. So she started voicing all these verses that I, that I knew. And I just was like, Hey, you know, I, I, I get what you're saying, but could you just meet with me like human to human for a minute? And then all of a sudden she turned around, she turned it around and was like, you're getting very defensive. And she was like, everything you said to me in the past 20 minutes has been nothing but defensive. And I, and I started and, it, and so it kind of escalated into this emotional back and forth. And finally I said, well, I, I, you know, I don't know what else to say. Let's just go hang out. Let's go to the hangout spot. And we drove separately. Um, and then I texted um, a, a girl who was my mentor's mentor from the pod, um, pod of girls. And she was like, all right, let's meet up. And I thought it was just going to be with this other girl. And I'm sitting on the porch waiting. They said, go out to the porch. So I come out to the porch and out comes all three of them. There was one girl was 
the female lead home church leader. So she was like, I mean, they have like two or three main leaders and she was one of them. And she discipled E, we'll call her E, and then E discipled L. And so, so it was like, and these three girls, it was this literally the hierarchy. They called it a tree, disciple tree. It was Mm. literally disciple tree came out and they cornered me and, you know, not like cornered, but it was like, they sat me down and I felt cornered and immediately, um, the one girl, one of them goes, so you know, so-and-so tells me you just had this conversation and I want to know how long you've been having these thoughts. Why have you been holding it for me? You know, and why have you been holding it from us? Um, and I told them the same thing I told my disciple. I said, look, this isn't out of the blue. I'm just trying to be honest about how I feel. I, I don't feel safe in the house. And then they, and it got more and more heated. They started getting more and more emotionally manipulative and at one point she was like, well, what did you, what did you and your therapist talk about? And I was like, well, that's private. And she was like, you know, I don't care. You need to tell us what you talked about in therapy with us because this is really serious. And so so, so there's a disciples in Xenos who are demanding that you violate uh, your own privacy with your therapist to tell them what you, what you, what you share with her. This yes. is, this is, they're demanding to get, to get into that place that nobody else should be. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And I, and at that point, so by this time I was in hysterics. Um, I was pretty much having like a functional panic attack. I couldn't talk anymore. I was so, wow. to this day, I can still feel the fear. I was so scared. I felt like a child, like being scolded and they were just so domineering. There, there was no compassion in their voices and they were just so it was just boom 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 question after question why what how when and I just was in complete hysterics and finally the the top leader um she she said I want she dismissed the other two girls they were they were crying so basically all all of us were just crying it's so weird and she dismissed the other two. She said, I want them to leave. You guys need to leave. You're making this worse. And so for, and then she was on my side for this night. She goes, you know, I want you to calm down. I want you to know, I don't think this is crazy. I, I you know, I am sad that you want to move out, but I don't think it's a sin. And she, you know, kind of helped me and calmed me down and was like, you know, I think you're allowed to move out, but I think it's the wrong choice. And I think we should talk about it another time. And I said, okay. And she seemed like she was on my side. Um, and then I went home and I immediately moved out after that. Like the next week I was like, you know, screw that. That was horrible. Um, Cause it's just, it's hard to describe how scary they, I mean, it was like they turned into animals. It was so weird. And so I moved out, um, and then that I also was forced to tell every roommate. They're like, you have to tell every roommate, like, one-on-one. So I did, and a couple people cried. And one girl that cried, I was not very close to, and I told her I was moving out, and she just started crying. And I don't mean to sound like, oh, emotions are annoying, because, you know, I'm emotional. But to me it just felt manipulative because every, every time I told someone it was, Oh, it's all about me. It had nothing to do with 
my pain and why I was moving out. It all was like, oh, you know, poor me, my roommate's moving out and I'm going to make this about me and I'm really sad. And if that makes sense, like it was very twisted and it, they were, it was never like, oh, I'm sorry that you feel so suffocated and suffering in the ministry's house. It was, how dare you think this is the only option and how dare you do this to me and hurt me in this way. And so I, I was like, okay. And I had to do that one-on-one with every roommate and it was really hard. And then I finally moved home and I get an email from the head leader, the girl that was on my side. Um, and she completely changed her tune and she sent this long email that was like rebuking me for withholding my thoughts about this. You know, I should have shared more leading up to my decision to move out. Mm. Um, she told me I should have asked to move in with her and her husband first. Um, she said I, and at the very end, she told me that I was complacent and I will always be complacent in life if I choose to put these things above God, which is my health and my mental health, that I would be complacent for life. And I read that email and I deleted it and I just kind of cried for like weeks. Cause I just was like, ah. she was like the one person I had left who was on my side and for her to email and turn around and be like, actually, I don't support your decision. And you're, you know, this insult, you're complacent. You're never going to go anywhere. You're always going to be the same. Your walk with God is always going to be hindered because you live with your parents. And another thing they were obsessed with is that I would get caught up in sin if I moved home, you know, and I thought, well, I'm, I'm a 25 year old adult. I think living at home in a room by myself is pretty appropriate. Actually, what's not appropriate to me is having 28, 29 year olds cramped in a room with five other girls who are like 18 and 19. And I was like that, And so I kind of got off track there. But so that's kind of what happened is I moved out. Everyone reacted really weirdly. Um, I was still going to meetings. I was driving up to Columbus, going to meetings. And every time I was getting talked about, you know, how, how do you feel about your decision? And how is it living at home? Is it super lonely? Is it super sad? And, um, I remember my disciple kept asking me and I finally had to tell her, you know, we, I get, I do no longer give you permission to talk about this with me anymore. My therapist advised me to do that. She was like, you are allowed to withhold this topic if you feel like it's being over talked about. And it was, so I just kind of told everyone, we're not going to talk about it anymore. I moved out. It was to save my life pretty much. Um, I'm still following God. I'm still coming to meetings and that's that. Um, and so everyone kind of quieted down. And then, so, so like they couldn't oh, buy the fact that your life got better after moving out. That, that, that just, that just no, was not, that just, that just was unacceptable answer. It was completely unacceptable because I was telling them, I was telling them, Oh my gosh, like, having my own bathroom makes a world of difference. It really does, especially if you have this condition. And in their eyes, they were just like, you know, that's really, that's really sketchy. That's really questionable because they're obsessed with sin. They're obsessed with sin. And yeah. so in their eyes, they're probably like, she's, 
doing all sorts of crazy sinful stuff and I was like no I I feel so free I'm like my mental health is better I have you know there was a time where I was enjoying driving out to the meetings and then um COVID happened and um so you, you weren't dating anybody at this time you're you're just being yourself enjoying your health enjoying a peace of mind you, uh-huh. had, you had no thoughts of, of being with, with with anyone, and but and and they just couldn't accept that. You just said no. you had to be in some kind of deep sin somewhere. Exactly. They're, yeah, they're, 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 they're that's always... all that would fit their narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there had to be a reason that I was moving out, and the reason must have been sin focus. I'm, you know, there's something I'm hiding from them, and oh, wow. Um, wow. So once COVID happened and everything was on Zoom, we had home church meetings over Zoom, which was just awful. It was so chaotic. And, you know, imagine having like 35 people on a Zoom call and they're all talking over each other. Oh, my Lord. um, (laughs) And something clicked. I, um, I just started thinking about, you know, the traumatic you know, having to beg, you know, the traumatic corner of the girls cornering me and forcing me to beg and, you know, thinking back to my roommate getting kicked out in the disciple meeting. And because, you know, during COVID, everyone, there's no, um, you had nothing but time to sit around. And I think as miserable as that was sitting around and being stuck inside, I think it was pivotal because it forced me to sit around and I had nothing to do but think about all this past trauma and all the terrible things that I witnessed and experienced in Zenos. And I was away from those people. I was away from their influence. And I was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I have to find a way out. And um, once the, when, I'd say like April, May, when it was like peak COVID, peak uh, quarantine and all that and Zoom meetings, I, um, I'm not proud of how I did it, but I just kind of texted the girl and one of the girls from that pot of girls. Cause my discipler had moved, was planted in a different group by this time. So I wasn't with her under her anymore. And so her discipler kind of mentored me a little bit. And I just kind of texted her and was like, Hey, I'm, I'm not coming back. And that was kind of it. And I just kind of completely ghosted everybody. I'm not proud of it, but to me, it felt like the only way I I was disgusted. I was ruminating on all the bad things that I was realizing how manipulative everything was. And I just felt disgusted. And I thought, I don't even want to tell these people I'm leaving. I just want to leave. Yeah. And that's what happened. (laughs) What's wrong with that? Why would you want to go back to a a dysfunctional bunch of women who are ready to just go off on you? Uh, questioning, second guessing everything about you uh, mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus. I mean, yeah. in, in a way that's supposed to bring you back to the true faith, which, which really is all about just going to meetings and doing what they tell you. It's got nothing to do with the, with the true gospel. So that's nothing yeah. to do with growing in Christian grace. It's got nothing to do with, with people coming to love and serve God more than anything else. It's coming more, it's them wanting you to go back to a system by which you're going to be at the low end of the pecking order. I yeah. mean, I mean, well, yeah. Who, I mean, who, who could blame you? <laughs> who could blame you for, for ghosting and moving out? You know, you you owe them nothing, and, and yeah, you, know, they, you owe them nothing, absolutely nothing. Uh, I mean, to me, they're absolutely abrogated to their to whatever Christian 
face every and I mean shame on them. I mean as far as I'm concerned, I mean every every, every uh-huh. disciple, I don't care who they are, I don't care what position they are. I mean they 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 knew less about the love of God uh than than anyone I've ever known. I mean to, to, to just rag on somebody simply because they're sick and needing a, a, a time apart. That's that's yeah. inconceivable. I mean, you you owe them nothing, Ronnie. So no, don't feel bad. Yeah, I give I give you permission. <laughs> yeah. So you go to them, and then what happened after that? Um, I started getting texts. Um, and through texts, I kind of told people slowly that I was really disgusted and afraid of how everything ended, and. I was no longer proud of Venus and I, you know, I was not, you know, just, um, yeah, sorry. I lost my track, thought, uh, train us off there. I told them that I was very disgusted with the way things ended and I needed space. And, um, over the course of the whole year of 2020, it was just slowly people texting me and asking me what happened. Some um, some people were very supportive. Um, I have a few friends who were very normal about it, and they were like, you know, they weren't. They were like, doesn't affect me. You know, yes, I miss you as a roommate, but you know, it sounds like you're doing better, and that's what I care about. So I did. There were people who were very kind, and I'm still friends with them, and I and and I'm still in contact with them because I I care deeply. But those pot of girls were just very. It was hard, um, and eventually I just had to block them, um, and which made me sad because I missed them very much. You know, underneath all of that coercion and manipulation, there was friendship. You know, when things weren't bad, we were really good friends. We would laugh. Like, I mean, I, I really I have dreams about them all the time. Like, I really do miss, like, that friendship. But for me and I went to therapy a little bit here and there after leaving. And my therapist was like, you know, I think it would be wise to just block them. It doesn't mean you hate them. It doesn't mean anything other more than you're just protecting yourself because I was constantly looking at these people's social media and just ruminating and really being bitter and being really mean with my thoughts towards them. And it wasn't healthy. So I had to block them. Um, and my, the girl that discipled me ended up texting me and I never texted back. Cause I just, there's, I just felt like text was not a healthy way to say everything that I, cause I had a lot to say. Um, and she texted me at one time a couple months ago, this, uh, well, last year now, summer of last year or something. And was like, you know, I just want to say, I'm sorry if I ever hurt you. I don't understand why things went the way they went and you know again if I did anything wrong I'm sorry and I didn't respond I didn't know what to say I appreciated the reach out but in my mind I felt very much like if you're saying the word if it implies that you don't really agree you know to me it felt like saying well you know if I hurt you I'm sorry but I didn't hurt you and you were the one who really went astray and um, right. And so it's 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 been really hard to go from having over like twenty close friends to almost none, and then maybe two or three that you 
like the two or three that were normal and nice to me, but I still can't see them because they're, I, I can't be around the other girls. Um, it's really traumatizing. It really, you know, I, I ended up being hospitalized about a year after leaving. Um, there were other factors. Um, but ultimately I think me, the way I left Xenos and all of that and being told that my mental illness was like a sin really messed me up. And I was hospitalized and mm-hmm. I talked a lot about Xenos when I was in the hospital. And I met with a lot of people who one um, were in a similar situation or knew people. And a lot of the nurses there actually said, you know, we get, we get a lot of, of ex Xenos people because the transition from Xenos life to what they call the world life. It's so hard. They, I felt like a stunted adult. I didn't know yeah. anything about being an adult because they, they isolate you. They make you give your money. They coerce, they manipulate you into getting part-time jobs that don't pay well. So you can focus on the church. And by the time I left, I just, I was 26 and I felt like a, like a baby. I didn't know anything about money. I didn't know anything about, having a real substantial job or, you know, I didn't know what it was like to think critically. I thought meditation was a sin. And I thought me having my own bathroom was like a sin and it took, you know, all these things and it just really hit me and I just couldn't take it. And I did not, I couldn't live with it. And so I, um, but then after the hospital, things got better. And uh, my two friends, A and B from high school, they, I really owe it a lot to them. Um, yeah. Getting emotional, <laughs> but um, sure. I just couldn't do it without them, and sure. um, and I just can't. Yeah. And I'm just really happy that they were able to welcome me back because the big thing that I struggled with was how am I going to be friends with people after this? Who's going to want to be my friend after hearing the things that? I've done mm-hmm. and then I participate you know, I I participated to vote to kick someone out and I have nightmares about it all the time and mm-hmm. and I just I just was like there's no way they're gonna wanna be friends with me. I was such a nut and I tried to recruit them for so long and they were just so accepting and and my family was the same. They were very understanding and forgiving and I just wasn't ready for that. I thought truly people would not want to know me because I was so involved in this horrible cult for so many years and I am really grateful um, for the people that I have now because I know I feel like I don't know where I stand really with God but what I can say confidently is that through my family and my two friends and my other friends that I have now I, I feel what God's love really is mm-hmm. um, yeah. and it's been really transformative and I just I am always going to carry this regret of feeling like I wasted my, my 20s in this horrible place and mm-hmm. I spent so long thinking what God was and I was wrong about it and mm-hmm. to know what his love actually feels like is it's relieving. Um, and I, I don't think I'll ever step foot in a church again mm-hmm. for now, but, um, but I, I do feel like because of the support system I have now, I feel 
patched up enough to be like, okay, I don't hate God anymore. I'm always going to have this trauma with Christianity, but I know now that what I was experiencing was not true Christianity Mm. and it was false and it was wrong. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. This is your story, as I said. It's you you sharing yeah. what happened to you. This is your reality, and it's not yeah. as. And as you know, if you you've been listening, and I know you have, this this is not at all uncommon. People yeah. have the same struggles and fight through the same battles. So you're not alone by any stretch of the imagination. It, it sounds to me as if you've had you've had wonderful friends. And, and yeah. precious family who stood with you. And, and yes, I, I, I would agree with you that, you know, the love of God was shown through them in some small way. They're, 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 they're all loving. They're all forgiving. They're all patient, all tolerant. They're all embracing. And, and that's what my understanding is of the love of God. I mean, he, he accepts yeah. me. As much as he accepts you, I, I'm no different than you. I, I could go on and share my own testimony, but I don't need to. But my point simply being that, you know, I, I know that, uh, from what I read of scripture, that, that God is indeed love. And the love, unfortunately, that you've had your nose rubbed into, uh, by Xenos has, has been anything but true yeah. love. It's, it's, a, it's a love of condition. It's a love that says, we love you because you do this, because you do that. Uh, the, the love of God is unconditional, has absolutely no bounds. God says he just loves you, period. That's it. He loves. Yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> and so, with, I mean, to me, uh, that's part of what recovery is in, mm-hmm. in, in terms of leaving an abusive religion. You go back to that religion carefully. Uh, uh, fearlessly and look at it for what it is and understand that, you know, if uh, you're going to recover spiritually, then there's something that you can go back to that you need to get back. So, and that's, and and that's something people have to deal with at their own speed. And I totally get you on what you're saying. Uh, I, I certainly fully understand, you know, uh, uh, I mean, I've never experienced it that way, but I've certainly spoken to so many people yeah. like you who've, who've been there and have wondered, who's, who's going to love me? Oh, look, yeah. look at the mess I'm in. Look, look, look how I wasted all this time. Uh, who, who's going to care about it? Well, well, guess what? You you are loved. Your family mm-hmm. loves you. You have friends who love you. And, and I, I am certain any anyone that has been where you're at is certainly going to feel right there with you. And uh, I certainly... And I'm so glad you, you had the opportunity to share and, and tell us where you're at. So, um, Thank you so much I, for I, 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 I really just want to encourage you just, just keep looking up, uh, move at your own speed. Uh, but do move, um, do keep moving, yeah. keep, keep making progress as, as you would in, in the variety areas. We, we, you know, we can talk about that later, of course, but, um, <laughs> is there, is there, um, is there something you've learned through all this that maybe, uh, I mean, through through all of this, uh, and with so many people from Xenos, I mean, Dennis McCallum very likely is going to be listening. Your disciples are going to be listening. 
your friends are going to be listening. Is there anything you've learned through all this or uh, at that after this, you know, you've had a certain amount of time to think about it. Is there anything you'd like to say to anyone in particular that you've learned that you may want to share with them? I mean, you certainly have the opportunity now. I want to yeah. give you that opportunity to, to maybe leave a message to someone. Maybe it's someone that, that is listening, uh, that might, you know, really be, would, would love to hear something, hear you, hear an expression from you. I mean, uh, is anything you'd like to say? There is. I, um, uh, I, I did, I wrote something to prepare. Um, it's not super long, but I, I wrote it just to kind of help me. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. You have the mic. Um, I don't. So you go right ahead. I would say this is kind of towards everyone in the church, including the people that was in my close pod, my mentors. And, um, it'll sound insincere because I'm reading it from being written, but this is what I had. It says, I may be incredibly angry at the mentors and the leaders and the close friends who mistreated me and mistreated others, who manipulated and love bombed, but these people deserve love. They deserve a life free of control. I urge anyone who is in the church and feeling stuck or feeling similar to consider that this is not God's true love. And you deserve to be in a church that respects basic human dignity. You deserve to be in a church culture that is not obsessed with sin and that teaches free will and independent thinking. And I truly believe that the creator of this world did not create us so that we may suffer with spy software and curfews and gossip and control and that we were made to push each other towards love. Um, and mm-hmm. regards to my friends, I've walked and unfriended people to protect myself and my well-being. It's not because I hate you or I think that you are evil, um, but it's because I felt so hurt um, and so confused finding out about the truth behind Xenos, and I felt like I needed to protect myself. Um, and... God is not just in Columbus, Ohio. And if you feel stuck, there is a beautiful life that is possible in Dwell if Dwell is willing to change, but also outside of Dwell. It's a beautiful life. It's safe. You can still have a Christian standard of living without the pressure to bully and abuse others. And I really ask, I want people to ask yourself, why are so many people sharing these stories? Why is there so much outcry? And when you take yourself, when you remove the blinders of Xenos, try to put yourself in someone like my shoes or other people on this podcast shoes. You know, why someone like me who's super socially anxious and scared or other people who would never dream of going on a podcast, why would we expose ourselves like this on a public forum where we are sharing the most intimate deeply traumatic experiences of our lives and we're doing it because it's the truth and the truth will continue to be shown. And I am working on forgiveness. And I think if the church would work on accepting these people, accepting these victims, then I think it could really help bridge this gap between the victims and the members. And I just, I really think that God's love is not about control. It's about 
just literally just simply love and pushing each other, pushing ourselves towards bettering one another. Mm. And um, that's what I have. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that, Ronnie. That's, that, that's from the heart. And that is what I think people somewhere need to hear and are going to hear it. And I'm so thankful you came on to, to share with yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Uh, the church certainly needs, if it needs any one thing as well, as it not only needs a new dose of understanding what the love of God is, as shed abroad in the heart by the Holy Spirit, but a little thing called repentance. Repentance yes. is what it is. It's a change of mind. Exactly. Uh, they preach that all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and they're of the mindset that they can do no wrong. They're of the mindset that they alone walk in truth. Xenos, you're of the mindset that that uh, you have a perfect, pure doctrine. Dwell, mm-hmm. you believe that uh, you uh, are led of God exclusively. And as yeah. one and as one very wise minister once said years ago, an infallible church can't repent. It can't do mm-hmm. it. So, so there's, so there is a need somewhere at a very deep level for Xenos, Dwell, Dennis, Conrad, Kate, every one of you, everyone I've yeah. spoken to you, we've encountered you, we've, we've spoke of you, you, y'all, as they say in the South, need to repent. <laughs> and you need to do so because God will not bless that kind of mess any longer. He just won't. Uh, and, and with the pressures, Yet to come, the, the challenges yet to come. Things are coming down the hill regarding uh, expose, uh, regarding regarding uh, Xenos that that they they just really don't have a clue about. They they the the drawing of the wagons is so telling. Yeah. Of their, of their refusal to repent, and, and I'm grateful, Ronnie, that you have hit right at the heart of why it is they need to repent. It is, I, I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time to do that. Is there anything else you'd like to say as we close? No, no, just that um, I'm very grateful for you um, giving me a voice and other people a voice and for the hard work that you guys do and trying to expose um, these these cults and these toxic churches. And I think it's it's a beautiful but hard journey and mission, I'm sure. And I we're all very appreciative and it's, it's healing to be able to, to do this. I feel like this is going to help me put it behind me a little bit and Good. just move on. <laughs> Good. And, and I know what you're about, what you said, what you said and what you share is going to reach out and touch somebody somewhere that I will never so. get it any other way. Oh, we know it is. There, there are people <laughs> leaving Xenos because of these testimonies. There are people who yeah. are, who are been there for years 30, 30 plus years. I know people who, who've been there for almost as long as, as, as it's been around who are leaving because of what they are hearing. Uh, no. It's, and it's not, and I'm not directing people what to say. I'm not telling yeah, you what yeah. to do. This is your stories. This is your truth. And you know what? You're sharing what's being, what's widely known and being totally denied in the church. But yeah. not, but the truth, the truth's gonna come out. It's gonna keep coming out. And by the mm-hmm. grace of God, um, Things are going to change. Uh, maybe not yep. the way Xenos wants them to change, but they're going to change. And I'm yeah, grateful absolutely. to have some small part 
Thank you so much for that. Uh, yeah. Ryan, I'm grateful that just welcome. some small part in presenting some of that. So. Yeah, but, um, thank you again. <laughs> once again, thank you for coming on, and we'll look forward to, to sharing with you more, perhaps later and more in the future. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going. Our prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened, and if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night, or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.